Hello, and welcome to Teacher in Zion Podcast, a podcast for Christians, Mormons, ex-Mormons, and other Book of Mormon believers, or anyone questioning their faith or the church, with an emphasis on seeking the truth wherever it leads, but especially in gaining a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm your host, Teacher in Zion, and this is episode five of the podcast entitled Prophetic Confusion Over Israel. Today will be a little bit different from the first four episodes of this podcast in that our focus won't be on the church or religious doctrines particular to Mormonism. Instead, we'll discuss a somewhat hidden biblical truth which is a truth that is imperative for anyone trying to properly understand last-day prophecy in the Bible. As we discussed in previous episodes of the podcast, I am not a Mormon, nor do I subscribe to any number of Mormon doctrines, but I do believe in the Book of Mormon. I also want to make it clear that I do not follow after Joseph Smith, but rather Jesus Christ and As a disciple of Christ, I follow the truth wherever it leads because he is the truth. The information presented in this episode is biblically based. Although the Book of Mormon adds some clarity to the topic, you don't need that book or any of the revelations of Joseph Smith to come to an understanding on this topic. You only need your Bible. One must pay attention not only to biblical prophecy, but also to the history of Israel contained in the pages of the Bible, because what I will share today does not appear to be known by the vast majority of Christians or even most pastors. All of the information I will present is known fact. You can go out and read about it on Wikipedia, for example, or obtain it through any number of reputable sources. And yet, Christian preachers and teachers, so-called experts of the Bible seem to consistently get it wrong when they try to interpret last-day biblical prophecy in regards to Israel, appearing to be entirely ignorant of certain facts contained in their Bibles. Those facts would give them a proper context and correctly frame those prophecies, and yet they fail to do so. I have no explanation for this. I have at times theorized that perhaps God has simply blinded the world to this truth for some unknown purpose. However, once you understand the history of Israel, you'll begin to better understand the prophets. You'll start tuning out those TV programs and YouTube videos when you see people try to interpret Bible prophecy in regards to Israel because you'll know the truth. And you'll recognize that almost nobody really knows what they're talking about in regards to this topic. Let me be clear. This information isn't some personal revelation or my own private interpretation. These are biblical facts. Bible scholars have written on this topic. You can research this yourself and find plenty of articles on the internet written by serious Jewish and Christian biblical scholars. Or you can simply pick up your Bible and do a careful read-through on the ancient history of Israel with an eye on this topic. And the truth of what I'm about to share will jump out at you if you hadn't previously seen it. And you'll suddenly wonder, like I did, 
why you didn't know this before, or why your Sunday school teacher, or your pastor, or all of those preachers on TV and on the radio never mentioned this when talking about Israel. It's not exactly a secret, but for some strange reason, these facts surrounding the history of Israel are almost entirely unknown or ignored, whether on accident or on purpose. I cannot say. The thing that brought this topic to mind for the episode was last week my wife and I took a trip to South Dakota for the first time. And one of the things we did while we were there was to take donations to an emergency youth center on the Pine Ridge Reservation. According to the Book of Mormon, some Native American tribes have ties to ancient Israel and specifically to the tribe of Manasseh. I mentioned all this not to indoctrinate you, but merely to say what brought today's topic to mind. Regardless of whether you believe Native Americans may have any tie to ancient Israel, doesn't matter in terms of being able to latch on and benefit from our topic today. But just to make it interesting, since the Book of Mormon reveals that at least some Native Americans are from the tribe of Manasseh, Let's begin with an article on Wikipedia regarding the tribe of Manasseh, which I think should do a pretty good job of introducing us to the part of the history of Israel that is most relevant to the topic we are covering today, which is all of the confusion out there regarding prophecies on Israel. And I'm quoting directly from the article here. According to the Biblical Chronicle, the tribe of Manasseh was a part of a loose confederation of Israelite tribes from after the conquest of the land by Joshua until the formation of the first kingdom of Israel in 1050 BC. No central government existed, and in times of crisis the people were led by ad hoc leaders known as judges. See the book of Judges. With the growth of the threat of Philistine incursions, the Israelite tribes decided to form a strong centralized monarchy to meet the challenge, and the tribe of Manasseh joined the new kingdom with Saul as their first king. Later on, the tribe of Manasseh joined the other northern Israelite tribes in making Judah's king David the king of a reunited kingdom of Israel. However, on the accession of David's grandson, Rehoboam, in 930 BC, the northern tribes split from the house of David to reform a northern kingdom named Israel. Manasseh was a member of the northern kingdom until the kingdom was conquered by Assyria in 723 BC and the population scattered into other nations. From that time, the tribe of Manasseh has been counted as one of the ten lost tribes of Israel. End quote. So that information was from Wikipedia, but you can go read this history for yourself from any number of sources, but especially the Bible itself. The salient point from this article that I wish to bring to your attention is that at a particular point in their history, after King David and Solomon, the Israelites became divided into two separate nations, and they were never reunited again after that you'll soon see why this becomes so critically important if you hope to have any clue on how to understand last-day prophecy regarding Israel. These divided kingdoms did not come by the will of man only, but by the hand of God. 
You can read all about this history and its further implications in my book entitled Destiny of Ephraim and the Restoration of the House of Israel, which is available on Amazon or wherever else you purchase your books. Or as I said, you can simply study it out in your Bible. But here's the essence of what happened and what is missing when people try to interpret last day prophecy regarding Israel. A man named Jeroboam, an Ephraimite, meaning he was from the tribe of Ephraim, served as an administrator over the labor performed by the northern tribes on behalf of Solomon. He was also chosen as a spokesman on behalf of those tribes. During Solomon's reign, the northern tribes suffered due to forced labor practices and also heavy taxes imposed upon them from Jerusalem. As Solomon continued to fall into increasing idol worship, God rebuked him one day, saying, I will surely rend the kingdom from thee, and I will give it to thy servant. The servant God was referring to was Jeroboam, the Ephraimite. Solomon's son was worse than his father, and when the northern tribes broke away from serving the king and rebelled, forming their own nation, it was primarily a tax revolt. Interesting parallel to the origins of the United States of America, who also pleaded with their king to make the tax burden lighter. In the same way as the king of England did, Solomon's son responded by placing even heavier burdens on them. The result in both cases was the same. A revolution and the birth of a new nation. Getting back to our story, the prophet Ahijah met Jeroboam as he was leaving Jerusalem one day. The prophet had clothed himself with a new garment, and as the two were alone in a field, Ahijah took hold of his new garment and tore it into twelve pieces, which was supposed to signify the twelve tribes of Israel. He then gave Jeroboam ten pieces of cloth and revealed to him that it was God's intention to make Jeroboam the ruler of a new kingdom composed of the ten northern tribes. You can read all about this incident with the prophet in 1 Kings chapter 11. From that point on, the new northern kingdom that Jeroboam ruled would be referred to as Israel. And the southern kingdom, where Jerusalem was located, would be known as Judah or the kingdom of Judea. But why is that? Why would this newly formed northern kingdom be called the kingdom of Israel? Why wouldn't the southern kingdom, which had the city of Jerusalem and the ruling descendants of David, be called Israel? Well, the reason for this is because God had given Jacob a new name. He was renamed Israel. And when Jacob, or Israel, blessed his son Joseph, and later on, when he blessed Joseph's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, he placed his name on them, even the name of Israel. You can read the words of this blessing in Genesis 48:16. Forever after that, the name of Israel belonged to Ephraim and Manasseh by birthright and by blessing. Ephraim led the other tribes, and even Joshua himself was from the tribe of Ephraim. And the tabernacle of God was located in Shiloh for 400 years, which was in Ephraim's territory. 
When the tribes were united, that name of Israel was extended across all of the tribes. Even when leadership temporarily switched to Judah through the merits of King David, Ephraim and Manasseh and the rest of the northern tribes backed him. Therefore, unity of the tribes made them Israel as a whole. But when Ephraim and Manasseh formed a new kingdom, they took that name with them. And this act does not seem to have been in dispute in any way from what we can tell in the Bible. God set his hand to establish this new kingdom, and he placed that name on it. From that point forward, this fact was upheld by the words of the prophets themselves. You can look at maps of the two kingdoms in the pages of some Bibles, or you can go find them online. And you will see the northern kingdom is called the kingdom of Israel the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah. Additional evidence for the name of Israel being applied only to the northern kingdom after this division is even found in the New Testament. For example, Matthew 2.11 begins by saying, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. Notice the name of the town is Bethlehem, but the country was called Judea. And again in Luke 1.5 it states, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias. Notice, Herod is called king of Judea, not king of Israel. And there are other passages to this effect in the New Testament as well. If any of this is news to you, we're just getting started. There is a whole lot more that goes along with this knowledge that we won't have time to get into today. But what you will find as you read through the prophets is that beginning with Isaiah, who prophesied after the time of the divided kingdom, is that within the pages of both his prophecies and the prophecies of all the other prophets that came after him, when speaking to God's covenant people, they clearly distinguish between two separate groups. When delivering the word of the Lord, they either delivered that word to Israel in the north or to Judah in the south. These are the terms used, Israel and Judah. They are not the same, but two separate peoples and two separate kingdoms, each with their own king, their own sins, and consequences for those sins. They are treated as separate entities, each with their own issues, each had their own unique calling and purpose, and each would have their own destiny. And this is the thing that teachers and pastors and TV evangelists and YouTube ministries seem to miss entirely. And because of that, they are off the mark when they are trying to understand last day prophecy or attempt to interpret it for you. Continuing with our story then, God promised Jeroboam saying, if thou wilt hearken unto all that I command thee, and will walk in my ways, and do right in my sight to keep my commandments, I will be with thee, and build thee a sure house as I built for David, and gave Israel unto thee. God was promising him that a house of the Lord would be established in the northern territories, but Jeroboam did not trust the Lord as he should, and being jealous not wanting his people to travel to Jerusalem in order to worship, he created two golden calves for his people, strategically placing them at the northern 
and the southern ends of the country. The one in the south was placed at Bethel on the main road to Jerusalem. Those among the northern tribes who intended to travel to Jerusalem for God's feasts could then more easily be diverted to worship at Bethel instead. Jeroboam also ended up tampering with God's annual holy days. Instead of observing the Feast of Tabernacles in the seventh month, as God had commanded, Jeroboam instead instituted an alternative feast in the eighth month. And there is much that could be said for the significance of that. But to make a long story short, Isaiah tried to call them to repentance. But as it states in 2 Kings 17, 21-23, Jeroboam drove Israel from following the Lord and made them sin a great sin. For the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam, which he did. They departed not from them until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight. As he had said by all his servants, the prophets, so was Israel carried away out of their own land to Assyria unto this day. So to recap, and also add greater clarity. The history of the Israelites is that they became divided into two different nations. The kingdom of Israel in the north fell into sin and were taken captive by the Assyrians. And in time, the kingdom of Judah in the south would likewise fall into sin and be conquered by Babylon. The Jews would eventually return home from their captivity in Babylon and rebuild as they were destined to host the Messiah when he came. The kingdom of Israel, however, also known as the ten lost tribes of Israel, have yet to return from their long dispersion. One of the reasons why the ten tribes never returned, aside from possibly serving a special purpose in the Lord, is because unlike Babylon, who took the Jews captive, when Assyria conquered a people, they didn't just carry them away into their own homeland. In order to make sure that those people could never again unify or ever rise up against them, they divided them up and dispersed those conquered people among all the different nations that they had previously conquered, effectively scattering them to the four winds. However, the prophets would continue to prophesy to Israel and to Judah separately. Both were warned of their defeat and capture. Both were told that God would one day restore them. Judah eventually returned from captivity in Babylon, and the Jews once again gathered when the nation of Israel was established in 1948. However, the northern tribes have yet to be recovered. In 1948, when the Jews debated what to call their newly formed nation, it was originally going to be called New Judea. In fact, there was a newspaper published at that time which was devoted to the gathering of the Jews to their homeland, and it was called New Judea. This name appeared to be the most popular, signifying that this was a new nation of Judea or a new Jewish nation. But at the very last moment, they changed their mind. And they decided to call it to Israel in the hopes that one day God would bring back the other lost tribes and restore them, even as the Jews had been restored. But that event has yet to happen. Or has it happened already? Perhaps the eyes of the world are merely blind to it. 
What we know for certain, once you understand the events described in the Bible, is that when we read the prophecies regarding Israel in the last days, it is not speaking of that country in the Middle East, which was formed in 1948. Regardless of its name, that is actually the nation of Judea, restored once again. And this was prophesied in the Bible. But those prophecies are separate from the prophesied destiny of Israel. Isaiah 11:12 prophesied, saying, And he will set up an incense for the nations, and will assemble the dispersed of Israel, and gather together the scattered of Judah from the four corners of the earth. This is a depiction of two separate gatherings. God promises to gather two separate groups of people. Israel and Judah, both of whom are his covenant people. But the time when they will become one is not quite yet. They still have different callings and purposes, separate destinies in these last days. The gathering of the Jews is now fulfilled and continues in its fulfillment. However, the nation of Israel, or the ten lost tribes, the northern kingdom, still remain lost in the eyes of the world. This is actually one of the fulfillments of the saying that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Judah was the last to be carried away into captivity, and they were the first to be restored, whereas Israel and the northern tribes were the first to be carried away, so they will be the last to be restored. In the writings of the Bible prophets, it is revealed that the northern tribes would be scattered across the four quarters of the earth and among every Gentile nation, even unto the isles of the sea. It is further revealed that God knows exactly where they are located, that he has not forgotten them nor lost track of them, and he has promised to restore them to their own lands. God will fulfill all of his covenants made with his ancient people and their descendants. Ephraim and Judah are the two leader tribes. They were often in conflict with each other for many centuries, but Isaiah 11:13 prophesies that the envy of Ephraim shall depart and the adversaries of Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not envy Judah and Judah shall not vex Ephraim. You see, Ephraim will no longer envy Judah's role in the Davidic kingdom when the Ark of the Covenant was taken from Ephraim and the temple built in Jerusalem. Judah had its important role to play in that the Savior would be born among them. His gospel of salvation would be spread from there and Jesus would also be put to death by them. And the prophecy says that Judah will no longer vex Ephraim They will no longer vex Ephraim with their legalism and the religious spirit. The two will come to value one another and respect the role that each one needed to play as a part of God's great plan. Ephraim and Manasseh, they have a vital role to play in these last days, along with the other child of Rachel. In Psalms 80, 1-3, it reads, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, thou that leadest Joseph like a flock, Thou that dwellest between the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. Stir up thy strength and come and save us. Turn us again, O God, and cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. 
Since Ephraim and Manasseh were considered lost when Jesus was born, this prophetic prayer could not be fulfilled at that time, but it will be fulfilled in these last days. These three tribes, Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin, are mentioned because Asaph, the writer of the psalm, knew by the spirit of revelation that in the last days God would use these three, the children of Jacob's beloved Rachel, as leaders among Israel to assist in the restoration of the whole house of Israel. Judah, having rejected Christ for a time, must endure its own trials. They are physically gathered to the land of their inheritance, but they have yet to spiritually gather to the Lamb of God. The great promises made to Joseph and his children should not be ignored. The children of Rachel will play a vital role. It will be to the salvation of the other tribes. Joseph in Egypt ended up being the salvation of his entire family during the seven-year famine. This is a type and shadow of the tribulation and what will happen again in these last days. And so much could be said on that subject. But moving on, both Israel and Judah have vital roles in these last days. Each has its own destiny. But regarding Ephraim and the rest of the lost tribes, God has said in Amos 9.9, I will sift the house of Israel among all nations, like as corn is sifted in a sieve, yet shall not the least grain fall upon the earth. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, starting verse 27, it states, And the Lord shall scatter you among the nations, and you shall be left few in number among the heathen, whither the Lord shall lead you. And there you shall serve God's and work of men's hands, wood and stone, which neither see, nor hear, nor eat, nor smell. Now, this is precisely what happened to the northern tribes. The kingdom of Israel was carried away and scattered into the northern countries. From there, they continued to migrate over time, dispersing throughout Europe among the pagans. And since the northern tribes had already lost touch with the ways of God, having participated in pagan practices before they were carried away, they simply adopted the practices of the countries they found themselves in and would soon lose their Israelite identity altogether. They would simply be absorbed into the Gentile nations, becoming as Gentiles themselves. However, Deuteronomy continues on to say, but if from thence, meaning if from where they were driven into these Gentile nations, if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him. If thou seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul, when thou art in tribulation and all these things are come upon thee, even in the latter days, if thou turn to the Lord thy God and shalt be obedient unto his voice, for the Lord thy God is a merciful God, he will not forsake thee nor destroy thee, nor forget the covenant of thy fathers, which he sware unto them. What an amazing promise. And here we see that these lost tribes would be found among the Gentile nations even in the last days, but that if they would turn to God, he will be there. He will be their God, and they will be his people. In regards to these lost tribes, Ezekiel speaks in chapter 34, starting in verse 11, saying, For thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I, even I, will both search my sheep and seek them out, as a shepherd seeketh out his flock in the day that he is among his sheep that are scattered. 
so will I seek out my sheep, and I will deliver them out of all the places where they have been scattered in the cloudy and dark day, and I will bring them out from the people, and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them to their own land. I will feed my flock, and I will cause them to lie down, saith the Lord God. I will seek which was lost, and bring again that which was driven away, and I will bind up that which was broken, and I will strengthen that which was sick. Isaiah 11.11 reveals that all of his promises to his covenant people shall be fulfilled, saying, And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people that shall remain from Assyria and from Egypt and from Cush and from Elam. He will set up an ensign for the nations and will assemble the dispersed of Israel and gather together the scattered of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Again, two separate people are depicted here and two separate gatherings. And not regarding the restoration of the tribes only, but all of the prophecies and warnings and directives from God, regardless of the topic, are addressed to one of these two nations from the time of Isaiah onward. And we must pay attention to that if we want to have any hope of understanding or being accurate in our teaching. Jeremiah chapter 50 paints the greater picture of a reunification that will eventually come between these two tribes as they repent and come unto the Lord, stating, In those days and in that time, saith the Lord, the children of Israel shall come, they and the children of Judah together, going and weeping they shall go, and seeking the Lord their God. They shall ask the way to Zion with their faces thitherward, saying, Come and let us join ourselves to the Lord in a perpetual covenant that shall not be forgotten. What a day that will be. So the main takeaway I have tried to impart in this episode of the podcast is the understanding that when preachers take latter-day prophecies regarding Israel and try to impose them on a small nation in the Middle East, they are effectively barking up the wrong tree. They need to look to the latter-day prophecies concerning Judah instead. Many of those prophecies have very clearly come to pass. However, their endless speculation on the possible fulfillment of prophecies concerning Israel are continually frustrated and eventually turn out to be wrong. Why? Quite simply, because they're looking in the wrong place. This knowledge is a game-changer. It will bring you to greater understanding when reading the prophets. The history and facts surrounding ancient Israel must be acknowledged when deciphering last day prophecy. And having corrected this error yourself, if you ask the Holy Spirit to open the writings of the prophets to you, you'll begin to see things that the so-called experts have missed completely. So in conclusion, let me ask this question. When looking at last-day prophecies concerning Israel, if the prophets were not speaking about the Jews and the modern nation of Israel, a.k.a. New Judea, where should we look? The answer might surprise you. God has stated through the Bible prophets that the ten lost tribes of Israel would be scattered to the four corners of the earth. That's around the globe. 
and they would be dispersed among all Gentile nations, even unto the isles of the sea. He further states in Ezekiel 37:21, I will take you from the nations, gather you from the lands, and bring you into your own land. We might be tempted to assume that the land he would gather them to would be the ancient territory of Israel in the Middle East, but it doesn't actually say that. Perhaps God has a different plan, one that is according to his own wise purpose. What if they are first gathered elsewhere in order to fulfill their destiny and the role that God has intended for them? Is that possible? If it is possible, then is there any place, any nation in particular, where we have seen the hand of God at work in establishing them, that there would be a land where those people seeking to worship and serve God according to the truth could gather to it for that very purpose? A land where they gathered from out of every nation on earth, even the isles of the sea? We have seen the prophesied return of the Jews from many European nations, but God states that he will likewise gather Israel, in other words, the lost tribes, and he will gather them out of every nation to a land of their own, and also that he would stir up his strength among them, even as the Psalms asked God to do among Ephraim and Manasseh. Isaiah 11:12 first tells us that God will assemble the outcasts of Israel, and then it states that he will gather the dispersed of Judah. What if ancient Israel, who presently think of themselves as Gentiles, not knowing their true heritage, have already been gathered to a special place where they can fulfill their unique role as believers in Christ, even before a knowledge of their Hebrew ancestry is revealed to them. In what nation on earth have we seen the manifest strength of God at work and using that power to help make a way for the dispersed of Judah to gather once more to their lands? Is not this great melting pot of the United States of America a place where a tremendous gathering of peoples has occurred, continues to occur? Is there any greater gathering on the face of the whole earth at any time in its history than right here in the United States? Is this nation not a place where peoples have gathered from out of every Gentile nation and even from the isles of the sea? Have you ever questioned the great affinity we have as a nation with the Jewish nation in the Middle East? Without the support of the United States of America and the support of President Truman, who did so against the advice of his own cabinet and political party, there would likely be no nation of Israel. Have you ever wondered about the connection we have with them, one that goes far beyond political alliances? These two peoples, who had once been at enmity with each other, are now, in the last days, gathered to their own places, appointed by God, and reconciled in their kinship with each other, even as prophesied in Isaiah 11.13, that Ephraim shall not envy Judah, and Judah shall not vex Ephraim. There's a reconciliation. Is it possible that these two leadership tribes have joined together once more in a relationship forged by God himself 
as he goes about fulfilling every one of the promises to his ancient covenant people? What do you think? Is it food for thought? I'll let you study the matter out and ask God for yourself. And if I haven't entirely offended you yet, I hope you will join us for our next podcast episode. Until then, God bless. Join us for discussion in our Facebook group, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash hope of Zion. Or at our YouTube channel, Teacher in Zion. That's the word teacher, space, and in Zion spelled as one word. My books can be found at amazon.com forward slash author forward slash Douglas Hatton. That's H-A-T, like a hat on your head. T-E-N, like the number 10. Until next time.